Hey, everybody, if you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com stuff right now and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code stuff and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good afternoon, folks. Happy weekend. You ever wanted to know how gold works? You're thinking, how does gold work? It's just gold. It just is. Well, there's a lot more that goes into it. And we talk about all the history of gold. Uh, Very, very fascinating stuff from February 1st, 2013. How gold works. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. We're doing this again. It's been a little while. Been a little while. But it's still stuff you should know. Uh, they, I thought the name had changed since we uh, took our little Christmas break. Oh, don't you remember our race to the uh, patent office to right. trademark it <laughs> again at the 11th hour? Yeah, that was a close, close one. Boom, and they stamped it. Yeah. S-Y-S-K. Actually, they said S-N-S-K. Right. No, wait. S-Y-S-N is what we get from people a lot. Sometimes. And I'm like, you know, no, starts with a K, people. <laughs> One of them does. One of, yes. <laughs> it's not stuff you should know. As right. No. You're right. Because yeah. it doesn't make any sense. How you doing? Oh, I'm great, man. Are you? Uh-huh. Okay, good. Um, you want to do this one? We're talking about gold. Yeah, man. I've got a little bit of an intro. It might be a stretch. We'll find out, okay? Let's hear. Today's January 15th. Okay. Tomorrow's January 16th. <laughs> Fig Newton Day. It is Fig Newton Day. <laughs> and also, on this day in history, in uh, 378, the Mayan general Fire is Born uh, conquered the Mayan city Tikal, which was recently rediscovered. Okay. Well, not recently. It's been rediscovered. They rediscovered a new one. Uh, and uh, what this did was it enlarged the kingdom of uh, King Spearthrower Owl. The Mayans had the best names That's ever. That's a pretty great name. Um and all of this was going on in the heart of the Yucatan Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you went just a little to the north, you would run into another group of people called the Aztecs. Yeah. Which were actually the um, Triple Federation is what, it's, what they're really called. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were to stumble northward and run into the Aztec Empire and ask for gold, what they would give you is what they would call excrement of the gods. Do you want to try to pronounce it? Yeah, I'm going to go with Teocuitatalala. Uh, <laughs> I think that's pretty close. <laughs> I think you may have done it, Chuck. Teocuitolatol. Yeah, I think the, the last part is lotl. I love that language. It's similar to like the uh, some of the native uh, languages we heard in Guatemala. The um, It's because they're Mayan. Yeah, exactly. But right. it's got that same like... I don't know. It's very staccato. It's kind of cool to hear, I think. Right. Like the, the Mayan city, the heart of King Spearthrower Owl's um, empire is Teotihuacan. Yeah. Right? Which sounds pretty close to... That word. Teoquilatl. <laughs> yeah. Which means excrement of the gods. And that's what the, the, the uh, Aztecs considered gold. It was a holy metal, a very, very precious metal yeah. in every sense of the word. And by 378 AD, they weren't the only ones to have loved gold for a very long time. No, uh, Egyptians were all over it. Uh, they thought it was also <laughs> divine. Wait, hold on. How would you rate that intro? I would say that was uh, on a scale of what, 1 to 10? Let's w- do 1 to 20. Okay, 1 to 20. I would give it a solid, like, 16. Wow, thanks, Chuck. Higher than you thought? Way higher. I thought I was going to get a 10. That's no. why I extended it to 20. No, no, no. 
Um, so the Egyptians, like I said, they also thought it was divine mm-hmm. of the gods, indestructible. And uh, they called it, uh, I guess, Nub, N-U-B. Mm-hmm. And if you know of the African uh, region in Northeast Africa, Nubia. Or if you're a fan of the rap group Brand Nubians. Oh, sure. You would have heard of this. I was, actually. Yeah, they were and, good. Yeah, they were. And um, that, that, that name still holds today because of the uh, original, uh, original Egyptian word for gold. And um, Africa, of course, has always been a major supplier of this stuff. Yeah, one of the first. Well, Nubia was, I guess. Yeah. Like the first heavily mined area for gold. Um, and then on the periodic table, the um, shorthand for gold is AU, mm-hmm. which I've never understood. Until I realized that it's Latin. Right. Which makes a lot of sense. I thought it would be G-O. Right. Or G-D. Right. Or, yeah, yeah, something like that. No, no. We had to go with the Latin, orum, which means um, shining dawn. That's nice. Yeah. And we say all this to say that people have loved gold for a very, 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 very long time. Can I drop one of the stats of the show for me? I, right when I saw this, I was like, Chuck's going to say this is this is the fact. I think it's podcast. pretty good. I told Emily this last night, and she was not as impressed as I would hope she would have been. Um, forever and ever, all the gold we've ever mined mm-hmm. from the beginning of time is only 161,000 tons. Yeah. Which sounds like a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of gold, right? For all of time, that's not a lot of gold. Uh, they compare it to something like uh, aluminum. We, we get a five... Point six million tons a year in the United States alone yeah. of aluminum. So, and again, 161,000 tons of gold is all that's ever been mined. Yeah, and the, the secondary stat that comes later, which I'll go ahead and ruin now, <laughs> is that 85% of all the gold we've ever found is still uh, around. We've only lost or cannot account for 15% of the gold since the beginning of time. It's pretty good. Well, that is pretty good, and it suggests two things that William Harris points out. One, um, that means that if you are wearing a piece of gold jewelry, Mm -hmm. it may have belonged to somebody else a very, very long time ago. Yeah. Uh, And two, where exactly did they get that? (laughs) Where where are they getting these, like, um, gold masks and headpieces and stuff from ancient time and then melting them down and reselling them? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's efficient, and it's good because gold is really bad for the environment, as we'll see later on. Sure. But uh, It's really recyclable, though. Yeah, it it makes me wonder, like... How are they acquiring that? Yeah. What is your wedding ring, sir? Uh, my wedding ring is platinum. Platinum. Yes. Okay. It's lovely, isn't it? It's very nice. Yeah. What is yours? Oh, mine is, I think, titanium. It's very cheap. It's like $50. I could take a tooth out with that I thing. I could. And this is actually my second one. I lost my first one. And inside of a turtle? Inside of a turtle. I have no idea where it is. Maybe it's inside of a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> but I, luckily, I like had the old email, and I just sent like the same order for the same ring, and Boom. I'm, yeah. ma- I'm married all over again nice. for the second time. Did you guys have another mini ceremony? No. Okay. Emily's just like, you need to buy another damn ring. Right, yeah. <laughs> all right. So um, that's a lot of gold stats. And as I've been trying to um, hammer out, people have liked gold for a really long time. Let's talk about the history of gold, shall we? Speaking of hammering out, though. Oh, man, I knew it. <laughs> one more cool little fact. Uh, gold, one ounce of gold. Mm-hmm. One ounce of gold can be drawn out into a 50-mile wire or hammered into a sheet five millionths of an inch thick. So it's really, we'll, we'll get to all this, but it's, it's not only, you know, a beautiful thing for jewelry, but it's super handy and malleable and chemically inert and like all these great things you can do with gold yeah, because what, of its properties. It also makes it kind of ironic that the Egyptians considered it indestructible because it's one of the more malleable metals around. It's yeah. so malleable that it has like almost no practical purposes as far as like hammering things go. Like you make a gold hammer, you're a dummy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right. So element number 79. Let's, let's get in it. Okay, so uh, gold, again, uh, has, was you, people go back to the Egyptians because they were the first ones to have, like, gold fever. But we've actually found evidence of gold being um, uh, smithed, I guess, yeah. um, during the transition from the Stone Age, the Neolithic Age, mm-hmm. to the Bronze Age, which is the first metal age. Yeah, like so, before bronze even. Right. Some, some places that had easy access to gold, like um, Bulgaria, mm-hmm. I believe, in 4000 BC, yeah. um, were already working with gold long before the Egyptians ever got their hands on it. Yeah, and the Egyptians, um, like you said, they really had an appetite for the stuff. Um, hieroglyphs as early as 2600 showed gold. Yep. And by 1500 BC, they were, it was like currency, basically. 
Yeah. In Egypt. Well, yeah, very much so. Um, it was not the – I don't know. Do they actually mint it as, for, as currency? Uh, the Egyptians? Yeah. I don't know if they minted it. I don't think the minting came until the uh, Greeks and Romans. Uh, actually, King Croesus, uh-huh. the ruler of ancient Lydia, which is a lost civilization. Really, he was the first to mint in uh, mint gold currencies, gold coins. Okay, um, in in widespread use uh, in 640 BC. Wow. Okay. But it was the Greeks and then the Romans that really started to to mint. About a hundred years later, though. Yeah. So that's that's a pretty nice jump on things he got. Yeah. He was like, hey, I like the look of this stuff. I'm going to put my face on it. Exactly. <laughs> and you guys are going to use it. Yeah, by 550, the Greeks were doing it. Uh, and then um, the Romans, of course, with their more sophisticated ways, followed suit. The aureus coins. Is they, that what they were called? Yeah, they produced yeah. millions of them. Those are the ones that they find, like, just some farmer in, like, Devonshire in England. We'll still find one we'll of these. We'll dig up, like, a chest filled with these things. Wow. Yeah, because the Romans were everywhere. They were. And they minted <laughs> a lot of these coins. Uh, so as they're doing this, the same thing is going on about the same time in South America, because they have a lot of gold there as well. Yep. And uh, what's it called? The the Middle Sikan era? Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was Sikan or Sisan. Uh, I bet it's Sisan. Sison? I bet it's not Sison. <laughs> um, AD 900 to 1100, and this is modern-day Peru. Yeah. They, uh, there, has been a, there have been a lot of gold artifacts found in that region, so they were using oh, it yeah. like crazy. For sure. The Peruvians were crazy about it, the Inca. Like masks, ornaments. Chalices, all yeah. that good stuff. And their specialty was hammering gold into sheets and like wrapping stuff in it. Oh, really? Like creating gold leaf. Interesting. Yeah, they were pretty good at that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, there was already a, a certain amount of gold fever over in Europe. Yeah. I think the, um, the English minted their first gold coin in the mid-13th century. All right. The same with the um, Florentine ducat. Yeah, yeah. Those were both about the middle of the 13th century. That was a popular coin. It was. Yeah. Still is. Is it? Among collectors, sure. Oh, I bet. Um, so there was people in Europe were exposed to gold. They liked gold. They wanted gold. Over in Central and South America, over in Asia, they also had the, a thing for gold. But the Europeans were one of the first to say, hey, let's see where the edge of the earth is and if there's gold there. And one of the first people to do that was Marco Polo. And strangely, a lot of people hate Christopher Columbus or think he was one of the more evil characters in history, possibly rightfully so. Yeah. Um, but you can actually trace the infection that Columbus released, literally and metaphorically, yeah. back to Marco Polo because apparently there's evidence that Marco Polo directly inspired Christopher Columbus to set sail. In search of gold. Yeah. I, growing up in history class, you always learned about the great explorers. And the more you learn about it, like the real histories as you get older, the more you learn that many times they weren't just sailing upon the shore with like a, a, a bouquet of flowers to deliver. <laughs> Most of the time, I would say. You know, it was usually in, in they were in conquer mode. Yeah. Uh, for one reason, to spread Christianity, as the, the Spaniards really wanted to do. Yeah, that was the cover story. The cover story. But King Ferdinand in 1511 also sent word, quote, while you're there. Well, I added that part. <laughs> <laughs> while you're there, then start, quote, get gold humanely if you can, but, by, but at all hazards, get the gold. Right. So, I mean, that was definitely a charge. And thanks to the travels of Marco Polo, the book that he wrote, where he talked about palaces of silver and gold, uh, you know, people thought it was just like the streets were lined with this stuff right? in and, the New World. And, I mean, imagine, though, if you were uh, one of the conquistadors who started sailing um, west mm-hmm. and you ran into uh, uh, the Maya or the Aztecs or the Inca and you saw that they had all this gold, you would think, well, this is all very much true in this place's yeah. gold city. Sure. So let's kill all these people and take their gold. <laughs> And there was actually a, a famed gold city, yeah. El Dorado. Sure. That's and what they're all looking for. Exactly. Like everyone was looking for El Dorado. And apparently every time a conquistador would find a significant <laughs> seam of gold, they found El Dorado. Right. And everybody else would come and it'd become like a, a boom area. But of course it was a mythical city, right? Yeah. It was just like legend. Yeah. And probably the closest thing to it, it obviously not a city built of gold, right. but the, the closest thing to it, it was in Brazil. In the uh, Minas Gerais 
re- region. Okay. Mi- Minas Gerais. That looks good. Ricky Gervais. Oh, we've been doing this like <laughs> five years, and our pronunciation is maybe even worse rather than better. Actually, we have a listener mail today where someone lauds us just for taking a chance and being willing to be correct, uh, corrected. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. I'll, I'll read that one at the end of this one. Uh, yeah, that was in 1700 in Brazil, and uh, there was a lot of gold there, and they were the largest gold producer by 1720. Yeah, 20 years they became the world's largest gold producer That's in Brazil. crazy. Because of this area. Using, of course, slave labor, panning for gold in sort of rudimentary ways. Yeah. It, not good. No. We're not too far removed from that now. No, we're not. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So on to America, yeah, North America, uh, California, the the gold rush. Like the point here is, is that gold has rewritten history and how we form societies because it, of yeah. the search for gold. Yeah, it's like spread people out over yeah. the world and intermixed and inter- intermarried and interdid it, and you know, <laughs> like we have entire groups of people, ethnicities, who are the result of gold. Yeah, the gold rushes. Yeah. Um, California is, is, gets a lot of press, um, obviously, because uh, by the end of the first year of the gold rush, after it was discovered in 1848, mm-hmm. 5,000 people were mining there. By the end of the second year, 40,000 people were mining there. But North Carolina actually was the first American gold rush. Yeah, and like you were saying, California gets all the all the attention. The sure. San Francisco 49ers are named after the gold rush. Yeah. Um, there was that great Scooby-Doo episode with the minor 49er. Remember him? Yes, I Big, do. Big, scary guy. Uh-huh. Yeah, when you think of gold rush, you think of California. Or I also think of Dahlonega. Yeah, he was in the, Georgia. Yeah, he, the mayor of Dahlonega was the one who said, there's gold in them, thar hills. Oh, really? Yeah, it was the mayor of Dahlonega. I had no idea. His name was Todd something, I think. Have you ever panned up there in Delano? No, huh? I, I did that when I was a kid. Yeah. And, you know, it's fun if you're a little kid. Right. right. You think you're going to find a little gold fleck. And, exactly. And be rich. Yeah, or you, you just retire. might find a little gold fleck. And you if you do. You won't you, be rich. Yeah, you're going to find it doesn't <laughs> buy you virtually anything. <laughs> but you were saying North Carolina doesn't usually get much attention, and that was the first gold rush yeah, up until the 1830s, in fact, um, they supplied all of the domestic gold that was coined here at the U.S. Mint in Philly came from North Carolina, or North Kakalaki, as we like to call it. Who calls it that? You never called it that? Uh, have you ever heard it called that? I have. On a, There's a Tribe Called Quest song. Oh, really? I can't remember what it is, but somebody calls it North Kakalaka and Compton. 
Check yeah. it, check it, check it out. <laughs> no, I didn't make that up. <clears throat> well, I just rapped. You did. You're J-tip. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we talked about the gold rushes in the U.S. There was also a big one in uh, Oz. Yeah, we can't leave out our Aussie mates. No. Um, hello, Australia. Yeah, they're like, we got tons of gold. They're like, it's so hot. <laughs> I watched Mad Max the other day, by the way, all the way through. Yeah. The original. Um, yeah, that was a good one. It was, and it was, um, I don't know, Road Warrior got uh, most of the attention because it was bigger mm-hmm. and more of an action-adventure, but Mad Max was a really dark kind of a uh, revenge exploitation movie. Yeah. It was really good. Ozploitation. Ozploitation. So was that the one where the guys in the personal helicopter, is that Road Warrior or Mad Max? That's Road Warrior. Well, then that's, when they got I don't think I've budget. seen Mad Max then. It's like... I mean, it was when Mel Gibson was still a cop, mm-hmm. and he was, uh, you know, there was this biker gang led by the toe cutter. And you know what? Something cool. What? You know, Justin, my friend. Yeah. His uncle is th- was the toe cutter. In Mad Max. Uh-huh. Wow. His uh, oh, man, I can't remember his name now. Uncle. Uh, uncle Toe Cutter. <laughs> no, I didn't call him that. <laughs> That's what it says in his Christmas stocking. Oh, I can. No, he just sends toes every year <laughs> in a little card. Oh, man, I can't remember his name now. Uncle, uh, yeah, Uncle Toe Cutter. I think that's the better name. It, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So Australia has this uh, huge gold rush um, in the, what, 1850s? Uh, yes, 1850. Edward Hammond Hargraves found gold in New South Wales. Bam, gold rush. Yep. A few years later, South Africa steps onto the scene, 1868. George Harrison, uh, he uncovered gold in South Africa. Yeah. And what? Uh, how many contributions has that man made to humanity in his 160 <laughs> years? I mean, he wrote, here comes the sun. He discovered gold yeah. like 100 years before he was born. Yeah. Not 100, but 100 years before he was famous. Right. About yeah. the same time, about a full century. But uh, now South Africa is the leading gold producer in the world. Oh, today it is? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Followed by the United States. That and surprises the, me. In the United States, Nevada is the number one gold producer these days. You mean Nevada? Nevada. Okay. All right, so let's talk about how you get gold onto your finger. It's not as easy as you would think, Yeah. but it's, well, it's at times rudimentary and at times a little more sophisticated, the whole process. Yeah, and complex to say the least. Yeah. I mean, like, it really shows how much we want gold. Yeah. It's sort of like fracking in a way, too, the, the one method. Yeah. All right. So what you got to do, There's diff- you got to start by prospecting, mm-hmm. which is the act of looking for gold. Right. And that's what you would call an old grizzled dude with a pack mule up in the hills in California, a prospector. Yeah. That's what you call a geologist who finds gold today, too. They're still called prospectors. And I guess the idea is that what are the prospects for finding gold? I'm sure that's where it came from, right? Maybe. So they're prospecting. That makes a lot of sense. I never thought about that. So uh, back in the day, there was a lot of luck involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking around for it, basically, where right. you think it might be. Uh, these days, it is way more uh, precise. Um, they have uh, equipment that can tell you if there is likely gold there. And then, well, here's the thing. is There's gold everywhere, but it's just not concentrated enough to be worth mining. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah. In most cases, it's invisible, but it's still present in the soil. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Invisible gold in dirt and rocks. Yeah. Or... It's in Goldschlager. That's crazy, too. It's like they're just throwing it away. No, you're not throwing it away. You're drinking it for a premium price. That's crazy. That stuff's gross. Yeah. That was like a college thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, give me a Goldschlager. Goldschlager, Jägermeister, anything that sounded like vaguely Germanic. (laughs) Yeah. That was a college thing. (laughs) Meisterbrow. Right. (laughs) Um, So where they find gold in heaviest concentration is when they will say, all right, you know what? It's worth setting up a mining operation here. Um, there may be other metals there, like silver, hmm. uh, which is great. Yeah, a lot of times gold is combined with silver in an ore, which yeah. I'm sure you're just like, okay, great, that's fine with me. That's uh, twice the value. Right. Well, not twice the value, but... <laughs> One and three quarters times the value. <laughs> I don't know. We could figure it out. Uh, so they drill down to obtain samples, um, analyze it, see if there's enough gold. If there is, they're going to set up a mining operation there. Right. If there's not, they're going to move on and look at another place that they think they might have a lot of gold. Yeah. And then depending on how the gold is present in the area, um, there's basically two ways. One is the load, a load deposit, which mm-hmm. is it's combined with rock or ore, and it's um, 
it can be at the surface or underground. Yes. Um, and with a load deposit, basically, you just want to blow things up when yeah. you find gold like that. If it's at the surface, you're going to use what's called an open pit method, mm-hmm. which is basically you just drill a bunch of holes into the ore, the gold ore, put some explosives in there and blow it up and then haul the ore out. Yeah, I mean, your goal here is just to make, uh, I mean, if they could load up that huge boulder and take it and do it neater somewhere else, they might. Right. But they're just trying to make smaller rocks. Excellent point. For transport. Yeah. Um, and then if it's underground, if the load is underground, they'll dig a shaft down to it and add it. Yeah. They go down to it, and it's a big shaft. I'm sure. They go down to it and drill holes all the way through that ore rock. Yeah. Um, and those holes are called stopes. Then they pack those full of explosives and blow it up. So it's basically like the open pit method, but underground, because then they just truck that ore out yeah. and off to the um, extractor. That's right. Uh, if you're in Dahlonega, Georgia, or maybe at a river in Utah. Why not? <laughs> Why not give a Utah shout out? You might uh, look for something called a placer deposit, and that is when you find the loose gold um, in a stream bed, you know, the little flakes or the little chunks of the little nuggets in a mountain stream or a beach, and uh, this is where you would pan, and you you know you scoop it up in a pan, mm-hmm. and you shake it, and uh, the Use gold... a lot of water. Yeah, a lot of water, because gold is uh, is more dense, so it's going to sink and collect at the bottom. Mm-hmm. There'll be a little uh, screen that separates everything, and there you got a little bit of gold, yeah. Ho- hopefully. And then the sixth graders are all very happy. <laughs> That's right. Or, I imagine if you were a prospector in California back in the day, you could do quite well as a panner. Yeah, you'd look around and be like, it's mine. Yeah. It's my gold. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so then you have to extract it. That's the next step. Right, so you've got all these big rocks that you've blown up. Uh, yeah, the, I guess this is mo- mo- mostly the first couple steps are from load deposits. You have a bunch yeah. of rocks. You put them on a, uh, on a conveyor belt, and they go into a machine that's appropriately called the crusher, mm-hmm. which breaks the ore into gravel. Yeah. Then you take that gravel and you put them into drums with a bunch of little uh, steel balls. Yep. Spin it around real quick, and those steel balls collide with that gravel, and they turn it into basically like a powder. Yeah. And you add water to that powder, you form a slurry. Add cyanide to that slurry and expose it to oxygen, and all of a sudden, you're starting to extract gold from ore. Yeah, the pulp, basically, the gold in the pulp dissolves with that chemical reaction, the cyanide and O2. Yep. And uh, throw a little carbon in there, like tiny little carbon grains. Sure. And um, the gold is going to adhere to it. They, they, have, they like each other very much, mm-hmm. so they're going to get together and party for a little while. Then you filter that, and uh, you have gold bearing carbon at this point still not pure gold right so it's gold with carbon then you move that to something called a stripping vessel they put another solution a caustic solution to separate the gold from the carbon right have more filters to filter out the carbon and so now you have actual a gold bearing solution but you're still not done no and I, this is my favorite part. Yeah, this is pretty cool. It's called electro winning. Yeah, which thank God Charlie Sheen never heard of this. <laughs> yeah, because th- this whole thing would be even more annoying. But um, you put uh, you put gold into a cell with positive and negative ter- terminals. Uh-huh. Pass a, an electrical current over it, and the gold separates uh, from the um, carbon solution. Yeah, or the the gold bearing solution, and is attracted to the negative terminal. So much so that I get the impression that it basically becomes embedded in the negative terminal. Yeah, I kind of wondered, because the next step is to actually melt that negative ter- terminal along with the gold. Right, and then you begin to separate the two. Basically, you pour off the negative terminal metal, maybe steel or something like that. It's called smelting, by right, the way. Right, exactly. Um, so when you smelt, and I thought smelt was just melting. And yeah, I'm like, why did they add the S? Because it's not melting, it's smelting. Exactly. <laughs> so when you pour off the steel, I guess maybe that comes off first, and then what you have left is relatively impure gold, but as close as you're going to get it in the extracting process, you pour that into bars called doré bars, Yeah. and then you ship them off to the refiner. Yeah, and that's not the, the bar that you will see in Die Hard uh, 3. Oh, man. Um, this is a, a more impure doré bar. Sure, still nice to have one. Yeah, I'm sure you can be like, look at me. That's right. Um, okay, and then you need to refine gold from that point once you have it in its uh, purest, impure form. Right. So uh, imagine 
the process that we just went through. It was like add this, subtract this, uh-huh. remove that, but add this, and then like the gold adhere to this, and let's burn the whole thing up until it gets melty yeah. and still impure. It still has to be refined. So um, when refineries get gold dore bars, mm-hmm. they also frequently when you sell your um, your gold to JD Wentworth or whoever, yeah, um, they take all this gold scrap and send that off also to these. Um, Refineries, which are all, which also serve as recycling centers too, basically. That's like the saddest shipment. Yeah, it's just full of people's like lost hopes and dreams and exactly. memories, <laughs> wedding rings and gold bracelets, anniversary bracelets. Yeah, all just sent back to be melted down. Yeah, because of the economy. Yeah. Um, so when they throw all this into the same pot, they add a little bit of soda ash, mm-hmm. a little bit of borax, and honestly, what can't borax do? Um, and the soda ash and borax basically filters out impurities. And then what you have left most of the time, and they use uh, assay tests sure. to, uh, to, to figure out the purity, but um, they, you have about 99.9% pure gold. And that's usually what they stamp on the bar that they pour. And those bars are called ingots. Yeah, those are the ones you'll see in uh, heist movies. Yes. And um, if you have ever seen Die Hard 3 and you see them loading up these ingots into big gym bags and then throwing them over their shoulder and running out. That is uh, not possible because (laughs) each one of those bars weighs 27 pounds. So if you have 50 of those in a bag, like Jeremy Irons might. Jeremy Irons is not a strong man. You're not going to throw that on your back like 300 pounds of gold and like go running up a bunch of stairs and out of the... Uh, New York, uh, where is it? The New York? The Federal uh, Reserve Federal Bank. Federal Reserve Bank, yeah. yeah. Supposedly there in Fort Knox is where they have all the gold. Yeah, Emily was talking last night about that. She was like, well, that doesn't sound very safe to have all this gold in one place. Yeah. I was like, well, that's why they say like it's built like Fort Knox. It's like super secure. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, but what if, you know, some terrorists just bombed it? She's like, you could just bomb it and then sneak out of there with the gold. And I went, you just wrote Die Hard 3. <laughs> She's like, is that what happened? I went, that's exactly what happened. But I think she makes a good point. I was thinking last night, too, like, if we have all this gold and if it is all there, just keeping it in two places, it seems, I don't know, it seems unusually, like, tempting fate. I, I think I agree with Emily. Yeah. $6 billion worth of gold at Fort Knox. No, no, my friend. Oh, is that more now? Dude, so when when Harris wrote this one... It, gold was forty two twenty two an ounce. Oh, okay. Forty two dollars and twenty two cents an ounce. Right now, it's sixteen hundred and sixty seven dollars and forty nine cents an ounce. What? So that means that if Fort Knox holds one hundred and forty seven point three million ounces of gold, uh-huh. that gold is worth two hundred and forty five point six billion dollars. Wow! Just sitting there in Fort Knox. When did he write this article? Like nineteen thirty five. No, I think gold went Has up like really that much up? in the last couple of years because of the economy. Everybody flocked to gold. Wow. Demand increased, and so the price did. It's so amazing to me. After all these years, gold is still like, people hoard it. Yeah, man. When gold prices are low, you're very smart to invest in gold because there's always going to be another economic downturn, and the prices are always just going to skyrocket. You got a couple of ingots in your closet? I have them, I have them strapped to my leg. <laughs> That's why I have a limp. Is that why you walk funny? Yeah. Um, all right. So during the refining stage, we should point out that a lot of times they will um, – because gold is so soft, pure gold is, they will combine it with other metals to form alloys. And that's why you will get something like white gold, which is gold combined with nickel or silver or palladium. Mm-hmm. Red gold is gold and copper. That's pretty. And uh, I've never seen red gold. I don't think. You've seen rose gold, surely. Have I? Sure. <laughs> At all my fancy I mean, it has like, and... <laughs> a, it has like a, a, just a slight pink hue to it. It's very pretty stuff. Yeah. yeah. I'm not big into gold, like as far as jewelry. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you have to talk about uh, carrots, carotage, and that is how much gold is in the object compared to, like, silver, nickel, or whatever else is in that alloy. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, um, different countries have different preferences. Here, you always hear about 14-karat gold in the United States, which is only 58.5% gold. Mm-hmm. Apparently, in India, they are partial to the 22-karat, uh, which is 91.75% gold. And the Europeans like to take that middle road and hit 18 carats. Yeah, that's very strange. And I don't understand what it is. I'm, I can understand I price being a factor, but maybe that's very odd to me that like cultures yeah. prefer it. So 24 carats is 100% gold, obviously. Yeah, and, and 14 or 12 carat is 50% gold. Yep, and about two thirds of all the gold is uh, jewelry. 
Yeah, which makes sense. Sure. And what's interesting about the jewelry is that it's still basically produced as it has been for hundreds or thousands of years um, using the same techniques, mm-hmm. virtually the same tools. I mean, I'm sure they're manufactured much differently, but they are kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, and while jewelry accounts for, what did you say, two-thirds of uh, all the gold in use? Yeah, nearly two-thirds. There's a lot of other pretty interesting uses for gold, too. Yeah. Uh, electronics use a lot of gold and a lot of other rare earth minerals. Like, um, uh, apparently, gold is very, very conductive. Mm-hmm. It's more conductive than any metal except for copper and um, silver. But it has a leg up on copper and silver in that it corrodes. It's very difficult for gold to corrode. Yeah. So that means that if you want something that's going to last a very long time and be conductive, mm-hmm. you might as well use some gold. So they do in things like um, processors and hard drives and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you you might see gold on your uh, headphone uh, plug. Your headphone jack might be gold-plated because it's if it's higher end, they might use gold. Yeah. C- conducts... Uh, Electricity and oh, I guess, yeah. therefore sound better. I have seen that. I just thought it was like fancy you know, high end or something. <laughs> um, uh, here's a cool stat because they use it so much in uh, electronics and microelectronics. Mm-hmm. Uh, NASA used more than 40 uh, kilograms, 90 pounds of gold, in the construction of the Space Shuttle Columbia. Right. That's a pretty cool fact. Electronics, and they used it as a reflective surface. They used gold film. Remember, you can yeah, pound the gold sheets. into like a point. Um, 0.15 millimeter thin sheet. It's amazing. So it's light at that point, highly reflective, uh, effective against radiation. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. Um, you also use it for crowns. Yeah, they they still use gold crowns, don't they? I guess. I, I imagine because it's not reactive. Uh-huh. Because when things are reactive, especially with cooking, it'll make things taste terribly. Yeah, that's true. Like there was something called a, um, a fish fork. Ugh. And it was made of silver, and apparently if you had this thing, it was like a status symbol or whatever in Victorian, the Victorian era. But it also did have a practical use in that <clears throat> silver didn't react with um, oh. lemon juice, which is often used to serve with fish, so uh-huh. it didn't affect the taste. I imagine that's probably one of the reasons why they use gold and crowns right? so that you, everything doesn't just taste bad because it's not reacting with anything because it's chemically inert. That's a good point Yeah, because you don't want to be eating something and think, oh, man, my new gold tooth makes this. Tilapia tastes like squid poop. or poop. <laughs> tastes like squid. I don't know. That's not so bad. No, I like squid, but if you're eating tilapia, you don't want to eat squid. Do you eat squid? Will you eat octopus? I mean, I'll eat all that stuff to a certain degree. I, I mean, like Emily, when it comes to calamari, she will only eat like the things that look like little onion rings. Right. As soon as it looks like the little miniature yeah. creature, she's like, that's for you. Yeah. And I pop that in my mouth. I will I will eat both. I'll especially eat squid. Yumi won't eat octopus because of one remember one of our friends had a friend they told us a story that their friend was a cook for some couple down in the Caribbean and the couple like caught an octopus and was going to cook it. Or they gave it to the to their cook Uh to cook and the cook was going to put it in the pot alive and the octopus was wrapping its tentacles (laughs) around the woman like Please don't kill me. Oh, my God. And she said it was, you know, like one of the worst things that ever happened to her because she did it anyway. Like you lit- when you literally have to fight to put the animal to their death. Yeah. Like- and, and then uh, so that combined with, I think, uh, being inspired to go research uh, octopi. Yeah. And finding that they are very intelligent. Yeah, and super like, awesome. I just can't eat those anymore. Yeah. Which is sad because they pop up with some pretty delicious dishes. I imagine. But they're a very smart animal. So and he's like, I'm just going to eat cooked. dumb animals. <laughs> Just stupid ones. Right. Yeah, I could see that. I would be traumatized. Oh, my God. Yeah, because it was like, no. Yeah, I would just walk slowly into the ocean until it released itself and swam away. (laughs) Yeah. You'd be like the woodsman in Snow White. Like, I don't know what happened to it. (laughs) But then you start to walk back, and the octopus reaches up with one hand and holds your hand. (laughs) He's like, I want to be your pet. I don't want to go back to the sea. Just don't cook me. Don't cook me. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll it! Much of the joy you will find on the road 
comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, where did we leave off? Food and beverage? You can get it in Goldschlager. <laughs> yeah. In certain jellies. Gold, by the way, not octopus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that that's all just for marketing and making things look fancy. It really is. You know, they have like the, the world's most expensive Sunday or the world's most expensive salary. It's always whatever. got gold flakes. It does. So much so that I think we've talked about this. They have another category for world's most expensive non-gold. Because uh-huh. it's like any schmoke can, can you know, spit out a hot dog and relish and then put gold flakes on it and be like, world's most expensive hot dog. Yeah. And that doesn't really count, you know? Yeah. So then that means some of the gold that we've lost, that 15%, has been pooped out. Yeah, I guess so. That's sad. <laughs> Is it? I think so. Since it's, you know, so limited in supply and bad for the environment. Yeah. To get. Well, I guess we should talk about that. Yeah, we probably should because I was very surprised. I mean, I had heard that gold was bad for the environment, but I didn't realize this. You want to you tell one of the facts of the podcast? Yes, it is like most mining operations, um, not great for the environment. In order to get uh, just one ounce of gold, you have to get out 250 tons of the rock and ore. Yeah. And a lot of times, um, well, of course, there's the cyanide, which is never great when you're introducing those kind of chemicals. No, and apparently they take this affluent, right? Yeah. Or affluent, (laughs) and they dump it out in the ocean. Oh, really? Which probably affects octopi. Yeah. It's like, hey, here's a bunch of cyanide water. and I'm sure the ocean will eventually, like, even things out. But for that local area where it gets dumped, that can't be good. Of course not. And that's why there's a group, a nonprofit called Earthworks, that runs a campaign called No Dirty Gold. Yeah. So I imagine if you have a gold wedding band and a blood diamond on your finger, then uh, <laughs> you're just like, you're. that's a double whammy that's against the, the world. That's the hat trick. Yeah. The hat, well, no, hat trick would be three. So not in this not in this case. Okay. <laughs> That's as good as you can get or as bad as it gets. Uh so we should talk a little bit about gold, although I think we should do a full podcast on the gold standard at some point. I know we've touched I on agree. it at some point. Let's do it. But um the gold standard was wasn't it like uh every dollar amount like was that you could print there was a certain amount of gold that had to be in reserve that matched that? Yes. Is that what it was? Yes, yeah, exactly. And if you had a bunch, if you had enough money, you could go up to you know the Federal Reserve and say, I want to cash this money out for gold, and they had to give it to you by federal law. And that was from 1900 to 1971 when <clears throat> didn't we just start printing more money than gold and said we should abandon the gold standard? Yeah, and I think when you detach your currency from gold, it becomes a fiat currency. Right. To the whims of the market. I seem to remember discussing this some in one of our econ podcasts yeah. way back when. Yeah, maybe even the audio, uh, audio book, maybe? How the Economy Works. Yeah. Uh, the Super Stuff Guide to the Economy. That's what it's called. That's um, a good one. That was a good one. 
Um, so 236 tons of gold are uh, being so-called hoarded mm-hmm. by people and governments. Um, is that all 236 tons? Yeah, it seemed like uh, if if there was still 85% of the 161,000 tons, yeah, it, that doesn't seem like much. but It doesn't. It's a lot of jewelry being worn. Yeah, but um, they think there is actually gold out in outer space, you know, and some of these big asteroids flying by that are chock full of minerals and other metals. Yeah. Um, there was a, in 1998, the near-Earth asteroid rendezvous spacecraft passed close enough to the asteroid Eros to actually send back data, and um, they think the Eros might have as much as 20 billion tons of gold. Which would probably really drop the value of gold here on Earth if anyone ever got their hands on that. How, I mean, how do you go about capturing an asteroid, I wonder? We've, we did a podcast on asteroid mining, remember? Is that the same thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's what they would do. Well, I retreat then. We should just do that. <laughs> <laughs> Could do that. Just I go thought get they would send Bruce Willis up with a lasso, a golden lasso. To yeah. Riding a jackalope. Yeah, and attach it to the jackalope's tail and just <laughs> ride it back to Earth. <laughs> uh, you got anything else? Uh, no, I don't. Well, that's uh, the, oh, I have one more thing. I want to recommend. Um, Harris didn't mention this. One of the other really bad environmental impacts of gold is illegal gold mining. Apparently, um, Guyana has a lot of illegal gold mining. Oh, really? And one of the things that you, if you're an illegal underground gold miner, you're not going through this elaborate extraction and refining process. You are basically taking your ore and you're refining or extracting on site using mercury. Mercury huh. is what they use. So there's not only a lot of like illegal, horrible for the environment gold mining going on. Yeah. There's also a lot of mercury mining and a lot of mercury like runoff. So there's mercury poisoning all over Guyana right now. Wow. And there's a really great article. It may have won a Pulitzer. I found it on Pulitzer.org, but it was originally in Harper's. That's where I read it. Uh, gold guns in Garampieros. That is G-A-R-I-M-P-E-I-R-O-S. And it's by Damon Tabor. Good stuff. Awesome article. It's it so en- engrossing. One of those that makes you want to like not ever use gold for anything? Uh, it has that effect a little bit, but it's it's more just completely fascinating. Like you just can't believe that people are doing this. Wow. Yeah. And child labor too, right? Isn't that a big problem? I think that was part of it, but more um, it's just you are you really risk death in these like they're called wildcat camps, these illegal gold mining operations because I mean if somebody the cyanide in the explosives so in the mercury <laughs> in the and, and the guns and you know people staking other people's claims bad bad news wow so there you go gold gold uh, if you want to learn more about gold you can type that word into the handy search bar at howstuffworks.com. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, Josh, I'm going to call this the Ten Commandments of Chuck and Josh, although there's only eight. Um, and this is from Professor Tom. Okay. Uh, guys, I teach a communications course at an area community college and in uh, universities. I often recommend your podcast to my classes, especially to students that seem to love learning, but may have not been encouraged by family or friends. Um... I'm hoping that they may pick up a few important life lessons from you guys, as well as interesting facts. Here are a few life lesson highlights that I think you guys display. Number one, normal guys can talk about something other than sports. It's true. I know I like sports. Uh, number two, good presentations begin with an attention-getting introduction. No, Josh, no, no, no. Josh will tell you this is sometimes easier said than done. Yes, no, that's absolutely correct. Um, if you don't know something, uh, look it up. And if you're looking it up on the internet, check more than one source. Life lessons. This, this, this guy's really paying attention to what we're doing. He is. Uh, learning involves mistakes. Number four, take a shot at pronouncing a new word. If you get it wrong, venture a guess, share a new hypothesis, then invite feedback, which is the important part. Jerem Pieros. Number five, you don't have to make fun of people to be funny. If you absolutely must mock someone, mock yourself. <laughs> you're good at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number six, it's okay for guys to have a variety of emotions. There's nothing unmanly with being sensitive or expressing emotions other than anger. It's even healthy for guys to talk about their emotions. Thank you, Chuck. You're like the new Rosie Greer. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Number seven, it's worth the effort to be respectful of others. Sometimes you have to stop yourself before you make an offhand joke, which we do. 
Um, sometimes you have to use a term that is more accurate or up-to-date, which we try and do. Sometimes you have to remember what it feels like to be seen as different and see if your language can be more inclusive or encouraging. Even if only one person in your audience notices the efforts, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Man, is this, is this my conscience writing it? <laughs> Number eight, curiosity can last a lifetime, and that was the last one. And he said, guys, there's a lot to be said uh, for teaching by example. Whether you realize it or not, you're doing it every week. And he goes on with an interesting P.S. from Professor Tom. P.S. A few of my gay male friends and I got to talking about your show. We tried to figure out which type you would be if you had been born gay. <laughs> uh, it was unanimous. Chuck is clearly a bear. If you have a gay brother, Chuck, I have a few friends who would like to meet him. <laughs> I, I do have a brother, but he is not gay, and he yeah. would not be a bear. He's, he's prettier than me. He is very pretty. You would actually love my brother. Yeah, he's got great hair. <laughs> I thought you guys would know, uh, would like knowing that you were being stereotyped by a bunch of gay guys standing around drinking beer at a bar called The Hole. <laughs> performing Stuff You Should Know podcast analysis. What nice. a world. Thanks, Professor Tom. Yeah, that's a great email. That was a great email. we got to print that one out. Frame it. <laughs> um, if you ever do analysis of Stuff You Should Know, we want to hear what you've con- concluded. Um, you can tweet to us if it's a short conclusion at SYSK Podcast. You can join us uh, at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 